the Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing. <laughs> Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is a licensed psychologist and author of a new book called No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships. And uh, her name is Dr. Allison Nirenberg, and she joins me uh, by phone. Uh, Allison, uh, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hi, Tom. I'm so glad to be here today. Um, Let's talk about this. Uh, Apparently, we don't have soulmates. Well, I guess it depends (laughs) how you look at it. I, 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 I look at it that we could be happy with a number of different people in our lifetime. But um, there are some people who feel more familiar to us and feel more at home, and we feel drawn to. When you, you know, in the title of the book, um, Allison's No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships, um, does that mean that there's no happily ever after, or um, can there still be? Oh, I I think there definitely can be, but we kind of have to change our expectations. If you think about it in our culture, we're raised on fairy tales and, you you know, hearing the uh, romantic comedies where there's perfect love. You you know, the little girl or little boy hears about a fantasy about meeting Prince Charming or Princess Charming and moving off to the castle and living happily ever after. they don't talk about what happens when you move into the castle. If there's mother-in-laws, <laughs> if there's a pandemic going on, environmental problems, they just talk about there being this happily ever after. And, you know, what I'm saying is that it's really important to realize there's going to be struggles in your relationship, and it's nobody gets out of life unscathed. It's how you deal with it when it comes up. Well, yeah, I was thinking of uh, every Hallmark movie I've ever seen when you were talking about people meet and it's you know the ideal romance and then and and then at the end it says and they lived happily ever after but there's a big chunk missing out of the middle Um, yes and that's and in my practice i've seen so many people come in and the first time they're they're confronted with the fact that their partner isn't perfect that there are struggles and they want to leave or if they accept that they are not perfect themselves yes yes 
it's much easier to blame other people though than to look at yourself. I was going to ask: is it is it harder to accept responsibility for this this human lack of perfection? Yes, um, and and it, to admit your own imperfections really takes you being vulnerable and acknowledging, hey, I have these flaws, or this is something I need to work on. Was it? Purely from your practice that that you developed this uh, idea that that you should write this book to to let people in on the everyday work that goes into holding a relationship together and um, figuring out how to set expectations that we can live up to for each other. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, for me, so much of this was personal. I really? uh, went, I, I've always wanted to write a book. And it was something I, I wanted as a kid. I was the one who kept a journal. It was something that was always a, an important goal for me. And, so this um, is what you did with your COVID-19 vacation. It is. It is. <laughs> but I, the, thought, the thought of writing a book, I got, I, I had spoken with somebody, uh, I in a continuing education class of all time, this is about eight or nine years ago, and the person said the assignment we had in this continuing education class was say a goal and what stands in your way from achieving the goal. And I said, I've always wanted to write a book, but I'm busy. I've got this busy private practice. I've got three kids. I, I never have the time to write a book. I don't even know what I'd write about. And the person sitting next to me said, well, he said, why don't you start with a blog post? If you write one blog post a month, at the end of a year, you'd, you'd have 12, and that's the beginning of your book. And for me, I, I didn't even know what I was going to write about, but I thought, okay, I can commit to that. I'll write one blog post a month. And I loved it. I would, was writing about my own life, my own marriage, my raising kids. I wrote about my practice, what I, it's like some psychological theory, but some things about popular culture and some things that I was struggling with myself. But I didn't have any theme, any rhyme or reason to it. I just wrote from my heart. And at, I guess, the end of a year and a half, I had 18 of these. And I shared, called up a friend of mine who was an author I was out in L.A., and I said, I don't know if this is a book or not a book or what the theme would be. And he said, why don't you send it to a friend of mine who's an editor? And he's honest. He'll tell you if you have something for a book or if you don't. And I thought, okay, I can do this. I can send it to a friend of a friend. And so I sent it to this editor, Scott Brassert, and he read through them and said, oh, this is definitely a book. And I said, well, what's the theme? And he said, oh, the theme is letting go of the illusion of perfection in our relationships. So I was wow. unconsciously writing this book without even knowing I was writing it. That's fascinating. When you were, when you were blogging, were you posting the blog somewhere? Did you put them up online? And, and you know what? what? It's funny, Tom, because I, I didn't. I didn't know if they'd be good enough. So I, I put them on my, my own website but you couldn't, it was in this tab on the website that probably nobody was seeing. I didn't publicize that I was putting it out there. I was writing mostly for myself. I was, you know, my family members were reading it and I was sharing it with them. But other than that, I really wasn't getting much feedback about it. There was no part of commentary on the blog post. It was more for me to just start writing. 
Well, you know, back in the day of, uh, of MySpace, they yeah. had built into that platform uh, kind of a, well, it, it was just really kind of a template for a blog. You could just write whatever you wanted, kind of a dear diary thing. Yeah. And I started blogging on, on MySpace um, every week. Every Sunday yeah. morning, I would post by 7 o'clock that week's oh. blog. Wow. And yeah. I was amazed at the people that started picking up on it. And if I was ever late on a Sunday morning, I would hear about it. <laughs> and, oh, isn't that great? And, and I just wondered if you had that same sort of experience. But it sounds like you had your blog sort of buried on your website. I totally did. I, di- I didn't think about it about other people. I just thought about it for me. I knew that I couldn't write a book at that point. I didn't have the time and it was kind of overwhelming to me. But I could commit to a blog and it was it's kind of like you make a commitment to somebody and it, this was a man I met in a continuing education class, but I made a commitment that I was going to do a small piece once a month and that was doable. And so for me, that's what I had began doing. The thought of sitting down to writing a book, that was just too daunting for me. Well, I I did that blog weekly for about three years. Wow. And um, at the end of three years, I had three books. Wow, amazing. And they're terrible. But, but, Uh. you know, I put them together as an annual collection, you know, basically a trilogy. And, uh, you know, roughly 50, 52, you know, blogs per book, you know, or little essays. Um, and and I, that's why it it really struck a, a chord with me when you mentioned, yeah. well, I blogged my way into a book. <laughs> because it, I did yes. that completely by accident. I mean, I I hadn't even started out with that in mind. You know, Tom, I'm a storyteller, and I've always uh, loved books. I love to read. It's been my escape. And for me, I've been carrying 30 years of stories. I've been a psychologist listening to people's stories of their lives for 30 years. And I felt like I'd have a session with somebody, and it would either go really well or would go okay, and they'd either remember what I'd say or they wouldn't. And I had nothing concrete. So I, I felt like I could have this brilliant session with somebody, but I didn't know if they'd walk out of my office and forget exactly what I said. So for me, the act of writing down stories of what I had heard and you know, changing names for confidentiality and occupations, but it, it helped me build something concrete. And it, it's so meaningful. It felt so meaningful to me. How much, when you're um, consulting with uh, a, a couple and yeah. they're experiencing for the first time that, <laughs> that love isn't perfect, love doesn't conquer yeah. all, yeah. Um, how much of the work you do is about teaching them to create a different story for themselves that that's so much of what i do i i call it reframing where we take the the trauma we take the the bad lesson the the painful lesson and we 
we transform it into to a more meaningful story. What did we learn here? What was the takeaway lesson? You know, just to come to couples therapy, it, you're brave. You are coming, entering the trenches to really talk about the dark parts of your relationship or of yourself or the demons you're struggling with. So I automatically respect people coming in. How difficult is it for people once they start to open up to accept what they're discovering and learning and 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 just sort of reorganize the path forward or do they end up and I imagine this is you know a case by case situation yeah. but or do they end up discovering oops not only we weren't we perfect we don't belong together at all yeah yeah that's hard i'm um, sure that happens well, occasionally it oh it does um the first thing i need to do with my couples is help them create a sense of safety you know an environment where they're not going to feel shamed where they're safe enough to admit okay i could have done this better one of the questions i ask couples who come in is what have you done that have that has helped your relationship this week and that throws them off like helped aren't we going to talk about the problems but i look at the positives what have you done that's been really helpful and then also what have you done that has harmed your relationship this week because in reality we all do things that are great for our relationships and then we all have behaviors that are less than our higher self so I, I want to create an atmosphere where we can talk about both the good moments and the, the, the not-so-great moments and learn from them. And you're right, not every couple makes it. And I don't think every couple should make it. Well, yeah, because if we're, um, if we're building relationships on illusions, yes. we can be making some, some really wrong decisions. I, I mean, we may accidentally... Um, through these illusions, find someone, you know, that that's a good fit, and you know, we get that all worked out. Um, but it it just seems like when you're basing relationships on illusions, um, you're really taking a gamble. You're right. We we focus on what should be instead of what actually is. Yes. Yeah, what a what a great way to to think about it because that is exactly what we do, um, and and I often tease academics about <laughs> being caught up in the way things ought to be instead of the way they really are. But, you got it. But uh, I speaking of the way things really are, I have to take a short break here. Um, sure. <laughs> Allison, can you stand by for a few minutes so we can talk about this of course. some more? Okay. My guest is Dr. Allison Nirenberg. She is the author of No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships. And uh, in order to keep our relationship with uh, our broadcast partners um, a little less flawed, we're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. They are... WFOV 92.1 FM, Our Voices Radio in Flint. And if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. <laughs> 
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation with uh, psychologist and author Dr. Allison Nirenberg about her new book, No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships. And uh, she's with me by phone. Allison, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around, and sorry to make you sit through all that. No worries. Um, we were talking about this idea that, uh, you know, that that oh, we we meet our perfect match and we think it's going to be happily ever after and then and it might be, but there's a lot that goes on in between. What What's a real good indication when how we refer to it as the, the honeymoon's over? Well, I guess it's when you first have some conflict because... Even healthy relationships have conflict, and it's how do you resolve them? Do you look at them as opportunities to learn, or do you look at it as an opportunity to take the other person's inventory and keep score? Yeah, what about that keeping score thing? That that seems to happen a lot, or at least it has in my life. Yeah, yeah where there's a lot of blaming and shaming and judging as opposed to being accountable and saying this is hard. You know, when you have a a conflict, it's really an opportunity to have empathy for your partner and listen to what he or she is going through. Why is it so hard for men and women to, um, to just simply admit to the things that, that are troubling them? Well, we tend to get defensive. I know for myself, with the need to try and be perfect or a need to um, want to look good, it's hard for us to own that we cause some of the problems too. And we carry so much shame as human beings, the sense of being defective or not good enough. And it's much easier to point the finger and look at what our partner is doing that's wrong and letting us down as opposed to looking inward and looking at our part. Where does that all come from? Is that is that something that's just built into human beings or is it, um, you know, some sort of um, environmental thing that that happens because of interactions with parents, with other people? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from our families. I think we come from families where we want to look good, whether it's a family with alcoholism or addiction or depression or anxiety. We learn to try and put on a good face. We don't want to show that things aren't perfect in our families. I, I grew up in... in uh for all intents and purposes, the second half of the 60s and and into the 70s. I was born in the mid-50s. And Uh everything about my life, you know, in, um, you know, in in medium-sized town, middle America, you know, just homogenous in almost every way, um, it was all about being like Leave it to Beaver. Yes. Good luck with that. Well, but yet that was the goal. That's what everyone strived for. 
Yes. And, and it, I think know, it still is. If, in some ways, if you look at, if you look at uh, Instagram or Facebook, people still are competing, whether it's not that leave it to beaver, it's that image of the perfect relationship. Now, now, my dad passed away when I was very young. I, I wasn't quite a teenager when he died. And what happens is, and this is one of the things that I'm so fascinated by this subject now, is that after that happened, anything that went wrong in our family construct, we blamed on his death. Yeah, you know what I mean. We we yes. had a cop out instead of saying, "Oh well, you know, I'm I'm kind of incorrigible," or, you yes. know, um, my my siblings have low self esteem, or, you know, yeah. mom's a single parent and she's struggling with that, and you know, we didn't talk about those things. We didn't get into those things. We just felt like, well, things aren't as rosy as they could be because dad died. In a sense, that was a big trauma in your life. Well, sure it was. No, yes, a big loss, and the, and it sounded like by not talking about it, the grieving wasn't able to really took was hard to grieve. If if grieving took place at all, uh, you know, yes. I'm, I'm not sure we really followed that that um, normal progression. Yeah. And I believe that we all experience some form of trauma or another. I mean, you had, I call it big T's and little T's. You had a big T trauma, the loss of a parent, but somebody else could have a lot of little T traumas, um, smaller hurts and wounds, such as being picked last for a sports team constantly in gym class, whether it can be being emotionally abused. There are all of these traumas that occur that keep us stuck and impact how we are in relationships because we don't feel good enough. But getting back to um, Leave it to Beaver or whoever yes. uh, young families are comparing themselves to now. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Kardashians. <laughs> well, I hope they can come up with better examples than that. I know. But, that's, the, that's the problem. But, There's such but, bad examples out but let me ask about that because, um, you know, do we have some of those similar um, kinds of role models? And, and, and how is it that we're so conditioned to set our goals based on those, the, those examples? Well, it's interesting because there, our culture has really done a number on us with all of these families and a lot of dysfunctional reality shows that are on. You know, if, if you look at there's The Bachelor and The Bachelorette that takes finding a perfect partner and makes it even into a competition. There's so much about wanting to look good and look flawless and look perfect. And it, whether it was from Leave it to Beaver in the late 50s, early 60s, to um, all the TV shows Sex and the City that came out in the 90s where women are talking about finding the perfect partner. But there, but there have been others that showed um, somewhat idyllic family life. Mm -hmm. the, the Cosby show yes. was a great example. And you know how that turned out. That. Well, <laughs> You know how that turned out with Bill Cosby. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and the... Um, 
the shows, the TV shows that Tim Allen did, uh, Home Improvement and then now The Last Man Standing, there are some of these shows where yeah. the families do set, um, you know, a, a high standard. And I, yeah. I just wonder um, if that hasn't been brought about to some degree, not so much now, but you know, yeah. in recent decades, by the censors, you know, the things yeah. that they discouraged yeah. uh, television yeah. and movies and so on. It, 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 it's great as time has gone by. There's been shows like Modern Family that showed families can be different. They could have gay couples. They can have adopted children. They could have, I mean, there's so See, much. See, we couldn't have had was, those in the 50s. You're right. You're right. So in a way, as our family systems are changing, there's a lot more that's being displayed that can really be positive as well as negative. There was also a show that was on recently. Um, I don't know if you got a chance to see it during the pandemic, but I, I loved it. It's called Ted Lasso. And no, it, I, Ed, you're not the first person to tell me that, so I need to, to go back and catch up. It was so great. I, I mention a lot of popular culture in my book because I think there's so many positive lessons as well as negative that can be learned in our movies and our TV shows. But Ted Lasso was about forgiveness, and it, he was a really wholesome, good person who was constantly reframing things as opposed to, you know, he was hired to, um, to be a, a, a coach of a soccer team in England, and he was really set up to fail. But no matter what happened, he, he put a positive reframe on it and was uh, like a, just really taught us in a time when our country needed some good role models about looking at the positives. Yeah, I, I, I must admit, I, I kind of climbed into the time machine during the pandemic mm -hmm. and went back and watched a lot of the shows that I watched when I was a kid because you can stream oh, all that stuff now. Yeah, kind of, and, and escapism, yeah. I think. And, um, yes. You know, it was, uh, and, and so I did a lot of that. Um, yeah. Saw some new things too, but but I, I did a lot of uh, tripping down memory lane. Um, yeah. But with these newer Mm -hmm. Role models and examples. Mm -hmm. Are we are, are we now setting goals for ourselves and our mates that are maybe more reasonable? I hope so. I mean, there are different types of families that are being displayed as opposed to the old-fashioned Leave It to Beaver family being the only one that's important. So, in in some ways, there there have been. But it, there's still a lot of pressure with all of the social media that's out there about looking perfect. And how much of that looking perfect is, is really brought about by our addictions and attachment to, to media and pop culture? Well, yes, but there's also this sense of pressure that we're only as good as our children are doing. Kind of that looking at our children as a narcissistic extension of ourselves. And, it, you know, it... it <laughs> the bumper stickers, my, my kid's an honor student at such and you such got a school. It. Yes, the, the, the sense of bragging and the sense of, used to be a couple would get engaged, and it was this 
private, personal, sacred moment that they're, two people are together and vowing to spend the rest of their lives together. Now people are taking pictures of it. They're hiring photographers. They're posting it all over Instagram and Facebook and trying to make their life look so perfect and their romance look so perfect. And it's giving a lot of pressure to people. Plus you add all the divorce culture, the fact that so many marriages haven't made it and so many children are raised from families of divorce that it, it's become normalized that if things are, are, are going badly, I'll just leave. I remember uh, worrying, uh, because of the divorce culture, worrying a little bit. Um, my, I have two daughters, and when I was married to their mother, we we did ultimately end up getting divorced, but we were together for quite a while, and the kids were going to school, and they had, you know, it was leave it to beaver at our house for the most yeah, part. Yeah. And I, I actually thought about and wondered and worried a little about our kids being unusual because they had two parents at home. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and now, it it isn't even mom and dad at home mm -hmm. or a single parent, but there are all kinds of blended families and, and different types of relationships that are um, now including families. Yes, yes. And, and it's really neat for my kids. My oldest is 22 now, but m my kids realized when gay marriage became legalized, I mean, it, it made a, such a difference. They had friends who were, a lot of friends came out that summer. All of a sudden, they were, it, things were being shown that there's other ways of living, and there was a lot of, of different types of realities that were being supported and shown. Is that putting pressure on people to create a, a new normal, a new goal, a new standard for these new types of families? I think so. I think that, I mean, I think there's some, some good in this, that there's a lot more uh, inclusion with kids and it's not, um, there's a lot more acceptance that's being modeled. But, but I also hear pressure. There, there's pressure in so many ways of trying to be perfect or trying to have this perfect ideal. Yeah, we're going to be the two best mom, or we're going to be the two, we're going to be the best two mom families ever. Or, yes, and or we're going to do this best, better than any other heterosexual couple. Yeah, or the best two dad families and, and that sort of thing. Yes, I mean, with, with progress, there's also some struggles. Well, it's a, a fascinating subject. In the... Um, in the book, um, I, I, I'm just guessing here, Allison, but the book is called No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships. I'm, I'm hoping that in the book, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but um, Allison, once we've shattered these illusions and realize that our relationships are not flawless, is there, um, 
are there some suggestions and some some case studies of people that were able to repair their shattered uh, relationship? Oh yes. So so basically, what I did in this book is I would share um, stories from my patients' lives, and then I would uh, talk about psychological principles. I would talk about twelve-step slogans. I would talk about lessons I've learned in my own life along with popular culture. And some of the lessons I talked about, what, what we learned and can take away was about gratitude, being grateful for what you have, and forgiveness, about accepting that everybody's going to make, make mistakes. And what does forgiveness look like? And how do we handle forgiveness? And how do we forgive ourselves and forgive other people and stay in relationships despite the fact that we're hurting? I, I said pretty often, no one gets out of relationships unscathed. <laughs> uh, that's true. It's certainly been true in my life. Um, mm -hmm. I've been scathed a lot. But um, now that you've had the experience of, of writing some blogs and, and then having it turned into a book and getting this book out, do you have the bug to write now? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so for me, it's really interesting, but I love the process of writing this. I, the actual process, I, I felt like it was almost a spiritual process for me. I would wake up in the morning before work and a story would come out of me. I'd wake up and think about something. Oh, I got to write about this person's story. Or I think about a, a term that I needed to explain. And I just I was all excited. I'd spend weekends doing it during the pandemic. The writing it was really fun, but the editing it was not so much fun. It was changing and looking at the perfect words and driving myself crazy trying to, you know, make it every word count that I used. And so that was hard. And did, I had a, a did couple you self, Did you self-edit? No, I did not. Okay. I, I first hired, the, the first editor I hired was um, the friend of my friend, uh, Scott Brassard out of yeah. L.A., and he, that was great because he got what I was doing, and he, he basically gave me some structure, and he was helpful, and from the beginning, he got it, so I loved that. Um, and then I found a publisher, um, the Joy of, I worked with Joy from the Tree of Life Publishing, and um, Joy Stocky, who was fabulous, too, and so I had a, first had a male's perspective, then I had a female's perspective, and Plus, I, I had my, my family critiqued it, my friends, other professionals. So I got a lot of feedback. And, uh, but that kept, I kept having to re-edit and do version number 23. And version, I mean, I really, it, it, was, it was a lot of work. Um, I'm very proud of what I wrote. But I don't feel like I have anything else right now to say. I feel like I, sit, I put it all out there. I used some vulnerable moments myself. I talked about my patients. I'm so proud of what I wrote, but I'm done for now. Well, as uh, we just have a few minutes left, and I, I yeah. want to make sure, as I always do, the time is just flying by. It's, it's fun talking Good. with you. But um, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work past, present, and future. Um, do you have a website you'd like to share? Sure. My website is www.healingrelationshipspa.com.
So www.healingrelationshipspa.com. And you can order my book on Amazon, on Barnes & Noble, on any indie bookstores, but uh, Amazon's probably the easiest. At the end of the day, Allison, what are you hoping that uh, people will get out of the book, and, and what are you hearing from people that have read it so far? I've gotten nothing but positive so far, which is exciting, because I feel like I really made myself vulnerable and put it all out there. So the fact that I'm getting such great publicity um, has been wonderful. Uh, what I'm hoping is that a sense that we're all in this together, that it's hard. Relationships are hard work, but that we we can all not beat up on ourselves and beat up on our partners, and we can be more accepting and loving towards each other. Is is there a way to um, make the changes in in a way that's that's pleasant and fun? It's because, as you say, it's hard to change. It's hard to admit um, weaknesses. Uh, but but once that part is done, is there yeah. is there something rewarding about building up on on more positive uh, grounds? You got it. What what I Tom? What I wrote in my book, I made it practical because I feel like nobody wants to read another theoretical book about relationships. <laughs> so, in, at the end of each chapter, I gave the readers practical things they can do. It can be anything from looking at a picture of yourself and writing a letter to yourself about at a time when you were struggling in your life, what do you need to hear, to writing a gratitude list, to each, at the end of each chapter, I came up with one to three exercises that they practically can do to work on improving their relationships. And so there's a lot of takeaways. Everything within the book is real practical, hands-on stuff you can do. Well, Allison, thank you so much for spending your time and, and sharing some of your observations and expertise with me and the listeners and, of course, in your book. And um, keep up the good work. Thank you. So nice talking to you today, Tom. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. That was licensed uh, psychologist and author of No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships, Dr. Allison Nirenberg. And uh, if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when uh, when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. Uh, so we'll be back with more of the Tom Sumner Program right after this. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com TomSumnerProgram.com
Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, My Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom It's Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov slash AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip Rapp's creation, The Bickersons. <laughs> The Bickersons have retired. As usual, Mrs. Bickerson tosses restlessly while her husband, John, insomniac extraordinary, provides this audible testimony of his constant wakefulness. Let's listen. For the love of heaven, what is he doing? John! 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 Hmm? What's the matter with you? Hmm? You are making the most frightful noises. What's the matter? What's the matter, Blanche? Are you in pain? I've got a terrible headache. Haven't slept a wink. You've been sleeping like a felled ox. Shh. Head aches. You wouldn't have such a headache if you didn't make so many cocktails before dinner. Why do you do that, John? Always do it. Why? No good to eat on an empty stomach. Put out the lights, Blanche. The lights are out. How would you know anyway with that sleep shade on? Well, something's flashing in my head. Ow! Take an aspirin. Okay. Hmm, feel better already. How can you chew those things like that? Wash it down with something. All right. <sighs> John Bickerson, you washed it down with bourbon. You lied to me. You got the lights on. Yes, I'm going to keep them on. Sit up. I want to talk to you. Please, Blanche, I can't sit up. My head will fall off. Why do you always have to talk in the middle of the night? When else can I talk to you? You come home for dinner and bury your head in the paper. Never a word out of you. And you tell me you've got to go to bed early because you have insomnia. Well, I have. It takes me hours to fall asleep. It took you all of 30 seconds tonight. Well, this was a good night. Good night. John... John! Hmm? I went over to see the Marvin's new baby this afternoon. It's a beautiful child. Do you know their first one is over a year old? I hope so. He's been walking since he was eight months. He must be awful tired. I am too. Children are such a blessing. It's wonderful to watch them grow up. You'd be surprised how many childless couples are adopting children. I'd better have another aspirin. Boy, have I got a headache. Mm. John? Hmm? Don't you miss the patter of tiny feet around the house? No, I don't, Blanche. Children are wonderful, all right, but you have to be able to afford them. All this talk of adopting. What the devil is that? What's what? That. Put the lights on. John? 
Blanche, don't tell me that you went out and... It's and only a dog, silly. A, a dog? What do we need dogs for? I got for? a little puppy. Where's the aspirin? What did you get a dog for? Now, don't get hysterical. Where is the little beast? I can hear it, but I can't see it. He's right there, in the bureau. I've got him in your shirt drawer. You put him in there with my shirts? He won't suffocate. The drawer's open. Blanche, you know I'm allergic to dog hair. It gives me sinus trouble. Where's the aspirin? You are just a big hypochondriac. You imagine those allergies like you do your insomnia. I tell you, I'm allergic to dogs. They make me... make me... Get rid of that thing. He'll whine all night and keep me awake. The man said he'll keep quiet if you give him one of those worm pills. Well, where are they? On the night table by your bed. How do you give a dog... Where... They're on the night table by your bed. There's nothing here except the aspirins. The aspirins are in the medicine cabinet. How can they be in the... Blanche, what have I been eating? No wonder my headache won't go away. Why do you do these things to me? Send for a doctor. Don't carry on so. If they're good for a dog, they won't hurt you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, she tells me. Here I am dying from dog poisoning. My, my head is splitting. She knows I'm allergic to dogs, hides the aspirin, and makes... I don't know. Get up so early, never get another wink of sleep as as long as... John? John? Hmm? Gesundheit. Thanks. I can see how much sleep I'm going to get tonight. We'll have to get rid of the puppy. Now you're talking. I want you to take him down to the dog pound. Okay, I'll do it on my way to work. You go in the opposite direction. Well, I'll go out of my way. You say it, but you won't do it. You better take him now. What? Go on, get up, take the puppy to the dog pound. Blanche, are you out of your mind? It's after two in the morning. They're open all night. Go on, get up and take him. Well, I've never heard of such a thing. You know I went to bed with a splitting headache and had to take a dozen worm pills to fall asleep. You'd take the dog to the pound quick enough if Gloria Gooseby asked you to. How do you always manage to work the conversation around a Gloria Gooseby? Well, if you wouldn't shout so much, maybe the puppy would be able to sleep. What's the use? Good night. I thought it would be nice to have a little dog, especially when we move into our new apartment. Still have a year to go on this one. Our lease expired on Friday. I renewed it yesterday. I canceled it this morning. Amos is raffling off the apartment for me. That's a good idea. Amos is what? Amos sold 500 tickets at $2 a piece, and the winner moves into our apartment tomorrow. Oh, Blanche, no. I... I don't believe it. We'll be on the street. Amos said he'll find us a new place in a jiffy. Jiffy? Haven't you heard there's a housing shortage? Where would he find a place? Well, I bought a ticket myself. It's a wonderful chance. Lovely three-room apartment, large kitchen, big closets. It's worth $2, and we might get it. Get it? We've got it now. I know. But even if we didn't win, we get the $1,000 Amos collected for the rest of the tickets. Look, Blanche, I gave the landlord a $1,200 bonus to renew the lease. So now I'm out $200 and I've got no place to live. Sounds like pretty poor business to me. Why do you make such deals? Now look, Blanche... The trouble with you, John, is that you are too conservative. Look, Blanche... If you'd pick up some of the deals that Amos has, we might be able to live as nicely as he does. Blanche... He's been living at the Biltmore Hotel for a year. He sleeps on a billiard table. Look out. Where's my slippers? What are you going to do? Let me get to that phone. I'll show... Ow! Ooh! Ooh! Put on the lights! The lights are on. Open your eyes. Oh. Here's here's the phone. I know it's going to ring, and I want to be ready when it does.
Hello? Excuse me. Drop dead. Wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't Amos. I'll get it, I'll get it. Amos. Hi, Jacko. What are you doing up this time of night? Packing, Amos. We're moving, haven't you heard? Why aren't you going to invite me in? I'd like to look the place over. You mean... Yep, I won the raffle. Darndest luck I ever saw. Who drew the ticket, Amos? Fair and square. I wouldn't take a chance having some phony draw it, so I drew it myself. What a coincidence. Get out of here. What's the matter with you, Jacko? You got a thousand dollars coming, and if you're worried about a place to live, I'll rent you the garage. You haven't got a car anymore, you know. Get out of here before I hit you with a cleaver. Okay, Jacko. You don't have to get sore. You better give the money back to people you sold tickets to, or you'll have a lot of explaining to do. Not me, brother. You'll have to do the explaining. I'll tell them you won. Good night, Jacko. That guy will wind up on a chain gang as sure as... Was it Amos who won? I did. Now at last I can go to sleep in my own bed without worrying. No, you can't, dear. The dog's in there. But, oh, nuts. I'll sleep in the garage. Good night, John. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for tuning in, and thanks to all of the guests who uh, called in and participated in the show today including licensed uh, psychologist and author of No Perfect Love, Shattering the Illusions of Flawless Relationships, Dr. Allison Nirenberg, this last hour. And before that, we uh, talked with um, noted historian Samuel Redman about his new book, The Museum, A Short History of Crisis and Resilience. And we started out this morning with a very interesting conversation with... um, Ira Shapiro about his book, The Betrayal, How Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republicans Abandoned America. And uh, Ira spent 45 years uh, of a career in Washington, focused on American politics and international trade, serving 12 years in senior staff positions in the U.S. Senate, and um, serving in the office of the U.S. Trade Representative during the Clinton administration. Anyway, interesting uh, show today to be sure, and we'll have another great show tomorrow. Uh, There's smoking George Winters tickling the ivories, letting me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room, but I'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program, and I hope you will be too. In the meantime, good night, everybody. is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.